This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Thursday morning as we prepare for game two of what I have decided are the greatest NBA finals in the history of basketball. Scientifically, I can't be disproven. I mean, if basketball gets better every year and the technology and medical and healing technology gets better year and the game gets more sophisticated every year and the player gets better every year, the players get better every year and blah, 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 then technically this is the greatest team of all time. So I proved my point. Congratulations, me. How wonderful. It was an awesome game one, punctuated with yet another badass Chris Paul takeover in which he said, you think you have a chance in this game? No, 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 you don't. And he won the game, not by himself, but he certainly led the charge. Chris Paul in these playoffs, it truly reminds me of watching Michael Jordan as a kid. Like, that's really the only thing that I can think of that compares to this, because at any given point, Chris Paul might just decide to take over the game. And that's the end. And there's literally nothing that can be done at that point. No one has been able to stop him. It doesn't matter what strategies have been thrown at him, what person has been thrown at him. We're defending you with this guy. We're not defending you with this guy. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We're going to try to make you shoot threes. He's bagged his triples. We're going to let you get to the elbow. Well, we know what happens there. We're going to force you to the rim. Well, he either gets there or he goes full Steve Nash, runs onto the rim, and then, you know, finds someone on the outside. He's been perfect. His shooting percentage is shot through the roof since those first few games back from COVID. I mean, he's just been... I mean, this is one of the greatest playoff runs I've ever seen from a player, and it's only been a few games of this. Like, just the closing game against the Clippers and closing game one of this series is just... It's some of the best stuff I've ever seen. These playoffs have been amazing. Like, truthfully, not even just the Suns. Like... The Nets Bucks series, the Nets Bucks series started as an atrocity, but I, it, the ending was—I mean, it was a lot of bricks, but it was still an incredibly close slugfest. Game seven with you know Kevin Durant and Chris Middleton hitting big shots and Giannis making some free throws and missing others, and you know down the stretch that series was incredible, and the Hawks Bucks series was really fun. Um. You know, it died a little bit there down the stretch, but still there were a lot of really good games. Suns Clippers was an amazing series. Um, so, I mean, these playoffs have been really good. There were a few years there where, you know, it started to feel like every single game was like a home team blowout. And just whoever had home court, you know, you're just going to win the series. You're going to, you know, blow the other team out. It started to get really ugly. And these last couple of years, things have gone back the other way. The bubble obviously helped from the perspective of, you know, it was no fans. So there was no fan effect on the officiating. It was just dudes in a gym playing basketball. And that's why you had, you know, some guys, you know, especially some role players, you know, have, you know, incredible playoffs. And there were some incredibly high scoring games because, you know, there's no defense when, you know, when it's just dudes running up and down the court. And that's not to say that they didn't play defense in the bubble, but it just the bubble was the closest thing to like open scrimmage at a gym that we're ever going to see in the NBA. We know that. That's what it was. And um, it was fun as hell. And the playoffs were great. And this year, they've been even better. Um, I've just been honestly thrilled. Like, I don't know any, I don't, you know, I know that there are some people who are complaining. Oh, there's no Los Angeles. There's no New York. There's no Chicago. I want big market teams. I want to see the war. You know, who gives a fuck about those people? Those people aren't real NBA fans. 
And, you know, if you're like, well, we're trying to attract the casual fan. No, we're not. Shut the fuck up. We're trying to grow the real fan base. And I'm not really concerned about, you know, the current ratings dollars going into the pockets of billionaires. So just shut the fuck up and enjoy some of the best basketball in the world and stop being a bitch about it. I'm so sick of the people complaining about it. Let's talk about game one. Some interesting things. Um, the Bucks just, you know, stuck to their base defense. Um, you know, I was talking about what are we going to see in, you know, the Aiton Lopez minutes, you know, both ways. Is Aiton going to guard Lopez on the other end? Is Lopez going to be guarding Aiton or are the Bucks going to switch everything? You know, I, like I was saying, you know, if if the Bucks don't switch everything and we actually do get a lot of Aiton Lopez, is Aiton going to attack Lopez? Is going to try to shoot over him? Well, it turns out they basically don't even see each other. The Bucks switch everything as they always did. They didn't, you know, they made no adjustments, whatever. And you know, it's Lopez on an island against Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and he destroys them. Uh, you know, we all saw that. I mean, there were so many situations where Paul was just like out on the wing. Just standing there calling for an ISO against Brooke Lopez and he's just waving everyone else off. It happened a million times. And, you know, the Bucks, we'll see what kind of adjustments they make. They went small at one point. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting because this is a matchup of two of the better centers in the league. Aiden is obviously a top three center. Brooke Lopez is a top 10 center. I don't know. You know, he, he's a very good center. Um, and, and analytically, you know, he's like loved and, um, you know, they're not even playing each other. It's just very interesting because the way the bucks, you know, they drop the pick and roll and switch everything. It literally ends up with Lopez trying to contain, a Booker or Paul run to the rim every single time. So Aiton is being guarded by, you know, whatever other, you know, whatever other guys in the action with the Bucks. Um, it's just interesting to see that the Bucks are like, no, this is just what we're committed to. I was really interesting because I really thought that there was going to be some some situations where the Bucks were not going to switch, where they were going to have Holiday fight through the screen and recover, so that. You know, Lopez could try to corral Aiton rolling to the rim just because Aiton's been shooting fucking 70 plus percent. Well, they didn't do it at all. And Aiton was eight of 10. And, you know, I know he only scored 22 points, but it's like if you give a dude 10 possessions and he generates 22 points off of, you know, eight makes and some free throws like you're letting that dude beat your ass. And that's exactly what, you know, most people have done. And Aiton has just continued to. Ran it in, and the Suns continued to dominate. No one really has an answer for what to do with DeAndre Ayton because there's not another dude who's as big and strong as fast as him, except maybe Giannis. Right? That's really kind of that's really kind of it. Giannis is faster, obviously, but I just mean the level of size and strength that DeAndre Ayton has and lateral quickness. Giannis is the only dude who really has like a you know a similar skill set um, and you know physical presence. And you actually see those two go at each other a lot. So it's just very interesting how the centers are used in this series because they're both used in really honestly kind of traditional center ways. And yet they're still not necessarily attacking each other because the Suns have DeAndre Ayton guarding Giannis and the Bucks have Brooke Lopez switching everything when the Suns are constantly running pick and roll. So, you know, this is not to say they didn't match up at all, but it's just, a, you know, a game where the centers, despite playing the same position, are very rarely matched up. Just something I find really interesting. For his part, Ayton was amazing as usual. I mean, he's he's everywhere. You know, he's everywhere on defense. He's altering shots. He's you know, trapping runs to the rim. He's closing out. DeAndre Ayton is, I, 
I, I don't know. I've run out of superlatives because I mean, we all remember earlier this season when Dario was closing games over DeAndre because DeAndre was struggling on the defensive end. And I don't know, Chris Paul got in his ear and changed everything. And over the last two months of the season, he became a fucking defensive nightmare for everyone to deal with. And, you know, no one really believed it was real. No one was paying attention. And that's why a lot of people were picking against the Suns coming into the playoffs. And I told everyone, you're not watching. You're not paying attention. You don't see what this man is doing as the game is slowing down, as we approach the playoffs. And some teams are starting to play a little more like playoff basketball. And some of these games are starting to reach, you know, playoff intensity. We're starting to see what DeAndre Ayton can really do. And, you know, again, people didn't take that seriously. And I've been saying for years that this guy was built for playoff basketball, that his you know flaws here and there will be completely minimized and his strengths will be completely maximized in a game that is played mostly in the half court and that requires a ton of switching and flying around. This is what DeAndre Ayton was built to do is play playoff basketball. It really is. And that has bared itself out in these playoffs. I feel hugely vindicated. The man has proven that he was the right pick for the Suns. And regardless of... What you think about Luka Doncic, blah, blah, blah. That draft, the 2018 draft, went exactly how it was supposed to. Trey Young is perfect for the Hawks. Luka Doncic is perfect for the Mavs. DeAndre Ayton is perfect for the Suns. Hell, JJJ is pretty perfect for the Grizzlies. Everyone got what they needed. And you can sit here and talk about, but Luka's an all-time and blah, blah, blah. You match up and listen to me. You, if the Suns complete the task and win the championship, something that we have never been able to do as a franchise, you fucking better believe <laughs> that they're going to believe that that was the right pick. And it won't matter what Luka goes on to do in Dallas because you simply can't compare those things. Luka would have come into a completely different situation with a team with a bad GM and a bad owner and no great history of player development. And who knows? Maybe James Jones would have gotten the job and then things would have been different. Who knows? Like, honestly, who knows? But maybe the Suns would have head down an even worse path. And maybe... Luca forces his way out and it doesn't even work out for the Suns that way because he's not the right fit and it just never works. There are a lot of really dark timelines and I'm sorry, but winning a fucking championship is not one of them. So you simply can't tell me that the Suns made the wrong pick because not only are they on the cusp of winning one championship potentially, but they have, I've said this here before, they have the core to compete for several titles over the next decade. This is a potential fucking dynasty. Your three best core young guys are 24 and under, and they're about to be under contract for several years. Your best player, maybe at this point, is still 36 years old, but he's playing like he's 30, he's 25. You know, like Chris Paul's been awesome, and he's certainly not going to go anywhere. He's not walking away from a championship team after 16 years being mired in the second round. You know, there's no fucking way. That shit, you know, it's not happening. It's really not. So this team is not going anywhere. And so much of that is thanks to DeAndre Ayton. Because he makes Chris Paul's life a million times easier. And he's going to help extend his career. Because he cleans up so many mistakes on the defensive end. Because he's the only guy in the league who can guard every center in the league and Giannis. And still switch out and contain some point guards and wings too. DeAndre can guard basically everyone. And that's not to say he can shut everyone down all the time. And that's not to say that he's prime Kawhi Leonard. But he is the only rim protector who can also guard everyone else. And then also throw down 20 points and grab 19 boards and dish a couple of sick assists. 
DeAndre Ayton is fucking amazing, and he unlocks every single thing that the Suns do. And if you want to know a really apt comparison for him defensively is Draymond Green. Now, they're not necessarily playing in the same way, but DeAndre has really started to call out the defense, and he cleans up so much of what everyone else does around him that it allows them to play. You can trust that DeAndre's behind you, just like you always could trust what Draymond Green was going to do. Now, Draymond is in a whole other world as a passer on offense, but Draymond can't score, and DeAndre can. But just truthfully, Draymond Green was the defensive anchor of all of those Warriors titles teams, and his versatility unlocked what the Warriors did on defense. And the same thing can be said about DeAndre Ayton, even if they don't play the same way. It's more of a comparison of how they fit within the team than their actual play style. A bunch of people are going to talk shit about me, uh, at me for saying that, but I, I know that I'm correct. A couple other really interesting things in terms of just... I, I saw the Suns run a wrinkle a few times where they sent their point guards to the corner. And I think both Chris Paul and Campaign stepped out of bounds on that play. Um... But it was essentially a different wrinkle, and it looked like it was in transition where they were just trying to throw the Bucks off by pulling, you know, a guard down to the corner and, you know, just kind of confusing the Bucks' help and recovery defense. Because, we, you know, obviously we haven't seen the Suns shooting a ton of corner threes with the point guards. Like, I can't even honestly think of a time where Paul or Campaign were, you know, regularly running to the corner in transition, and the Suns did it multiple times the other day. Didn't really work so well. But it'll be interesting to see if they do it again. But I, I'm fairly certain that both Chris Paul and Campaign stepped out of bounds running running this corner three uh, wrinkle that they were trying to run. Another thing about the corner three, Zach Lowe said on his podcast, and I think he said that this was per cleaning the glass. Uh, so I'm double referencing here, but whatever. It's still an interesting thing. The Suns only got 5% of their shots from the corner three and... That was one of the big things coming into this series because the Bucks work really hard to limit corner threes. The Suns shoot a ton of corner threes. The Bucks won that battle. But I mean, truthfully, here's the thing for me: like the Bucks shot really well from three, and they still lost. Middleton balled out and pulled them back into the game on his own, and they still lost. You know, I said to Keith, if Middleton has some of these games where he's hit, you know, hits seven, eight threes and, you know, scores 30 plus and just, it's just killing it and looking like, you know, you know, KD light or whatever, like, you know, just a, you know, another, you know, just a not obviously not as good as KD, but I mean, damn, do they kind of play in a similar way? Um, you know, and we survive those games. If you're the Suns and you're watching Middleton absolutely go off and you survive those games, then you're going to win the series. And that's exactly what happened here. Like, Middleton damn near dragged them back on his own. I mean, they were down seven in the fourth quarter. That's certainly not, you know, a, a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. The Bucks clawed their way back in it. Now, the Suns pretty quickly pulled back away. But the point is that, you know, Chris Middleton played a fucking amazing game, pulled the Bucks back in it all on his lonesome, and then the Suns just swept them away. Now, will he have several more of those games? Who knows? But for Giannis to come back and look as good as he did, I mean, I haven't even really talked about it to this point. I mean, Giannis was, he looked like Giannis. Truthfully, he did. I mean, he threw, we dunked through DeAndre Ayton. 
He did his patented fly-around dunk move on Jay Crowder. He hit a really nice spin reverse fade. Like, Giannis looked good. The only thing was he just looked winded. He was sweating a lot. He looked tired. You know, he hadn't played in a week. But he didn't really look like he was injured. He didn't look hurt. So, you know, good for the Bucks. I'm glad, you know, I don't know if Giannis is 100% or anything. We're never, you know, the only person who knows that is Giannis and his doctors. But, you know, he... The man looked like himself. Chris Vernon said, you know, if you didn't tell me he was injured, I wouldn't have known. I I kind of tend to agree. Giannis was, I mean, that chase down block was fucking ridiculous. Just, you know, there's so few guys in the league who can even, well, there's two guys in the league who can do that, basically. It's Giannis and LeBron. And, you know, he did it. And, you know, I mean, the man looked like himself. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to speak for. Giannis or anything on his health. I'm just saying if I'm the Suns, I'm scheming for that dude to be a badass because he looks like he's going to be a badass going forward. So I do expect Giannis to play better going forward. Um, and I do expect that to help the Bucks. But I honestly do think too, like you watch the game and it just feels to me like the Bucks have to work a lot harder to get a good shot than the Suns do. Like maybe I'm biased, and I'm just wrong, but I don't think so. I mean, it takes so much for things to work correctly for them. And when they try to go to Giannis as a bailout, if he doesn't already have sealed position on the block, he's got to like, you know, dribble all the way out and wind up and, you know, fly at the guy. And I know that Paul does the wind up thing too, but you know, he has an array of moves off of that. When Giannis does the wind up, we know that he's flying in and then he's either going to try to dunk over you go to the spin and go around you, or he'll just turn and pass out. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you know, Giannis only took 11 shots. But, well, a lot of that is because DeAndre Ayton is huge, gets in his way and forces him to pass out. You know, you watch the previous footage of Ayton guarding Giannis, and you can see that Giannis does that a lot where he jumps and has to turn and pass out of it because Ayton is simply in his way and he can't go over or through him. He did go through him once, but, you know, Ayton shut him down many more times. So... You know, Giannis just doesn't have, I'm not trying to denigrate him. Giannis is an amazing player, but he hasn't grown as much as we would have hoped. And him settling in more as, you know, I'm going to be Shaq and I'm going to dunk and I'm not going to shoot as many threes is good. And it's, you know, it's not all about that, but he still should have more moves and just a little bit more versatility. And he just still hasn't. He's just plateaued a bit and he's plateaued as an amazing player, but he's plateaued as an amazing player who struggles to score against really good defenders in isolation, especially in the playoffs. Now he's gotten through to the finals. So, you know, certainly as a team player, he's risen, but some of that is just allowing Chris Middleton to be the dude to take the final shot. So I just, you know, I, I respect Giannis, but I do think that there's still more growth necessary for him to be a championship player. And, you know, he's like 26, 27. Like, he's still young. So there's still time. But I do think this is not the Bucks' time because the Suns are simply a better team from top to bottom. They're a deeper team. Well, they were a deeper team. The loss of Dario Saric for the year to an ACL tear is brutal. Um, and it means that the Suns have essentially two options. And that is either play Frank Kaminsky or, you know, play Torrey Craig and Jay Crowder at center and basically go small. 
Now, I know Keith would love it if, uh, that's my best friend Keith, would love it if the Suns would play Jalen Smith and give rookie Sticks a chance. Um, I think that would be very interesting, but I don't think that we're going to see it. Maybe they'll bring, bring in Sticks for a minute like they like Bucks do Thanasis or something. But, um, you know, the first option in this game was the Suns brought in Kaminsky when Dario got hurt. And you could see... When Dario was crying when he walked off, that hurt me. Like, that hurt my heart, man. I, I turned and I'm watching the game with Keith, and I turned to him and I said, fuck. You know, I was like, that, he's crying. That hurt. I'm really worried about that. That looked like a bad injury, the way his knee buckled. And sure enough, and, you know, I like Dario. I like Dario a lot. I think that there are times when Kaminsky is a little better, and... People don't agree with me on that, but Kaminsky has played pretty damn well this season. And one of his best games was against the Bucks, And I, I think that Kaminsky can hang a little bit. I just think he's a better passer. They're both kind of meh shooters and meh defenders. They're not great, but they play the game a little differently. Dario attacks more, but gets in his own head. Um, you know, we've seen Dario with a lot of confidence issues. Credit again to Keith. I'm just mentioning his name fucking comp- constantly on this episode. Um, but, you know, we've seen Dario pass up shots at times that he really should take. And you can see him get in his head and he likes to attack. You know, Frank plays a little more just like a floor spacing facilitator. I'm out here. I'm going to whip the ball to the corner. I'm going to just take this shot. You know, he can do... I mean, they're they're really similar players, truth be told. Like, you know, they're tallish, slowish, decent shooters. But, you know, I just think Frank is a better passer and plays a little more like a facilitator. And I like that on a second unit. And, yeah, I mean, sure, they attacked him when he came on the court. But he also hasn't played in, like, an NBA game in weeks. Like, you know, he hasn't really played much since, like, the Lakers series. So... You know, I'm not surprised he didn't have a phenomenal game. And, you know, it may just be that the Suns decide to go small with Torrey Craig. But I wouldn't necessarily just abandon the Kaminsky thing just yet because I do think he has the propensity to dish a couple assists and hit a couple of triples and just basically neutralize the minutes that he's on the court. And, you know, anytime that you're basically playing a heavy bench unit or you're saying, okay, this, we're playing this hole in our lineup. If you, you know, you view your backup center that way. And that really has been the one issue for the Suns all season is backup center. We've all talked about it since literally the beginning of the season is what are the Suns going to do at backup center? If they make the NBA finals, well, the answer answer a was Dario. Now that Dario's out again, the answer has to become either, you know, Tory Craig or Frank Kaminsky. A lot of people would say Kaminsky is not the answer and that they just need to go with Torrey Craig and go small. And, you know, again, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I still think that they should be playing Kaminsky for a couple of minutes a game, at least maybe against like Bobby Portis. You know, maybe Portis eats that alive. I don't know. But I just, I don't think the Suns necessarily need to commit to going all small all the time and treating the loss of Dario, like, oh, we have no one else who can do anything. Because, you know, Kaminsky had a few really good games this season. The team went like 8-0 and with him in the starting lineup. Like, he's not completely useless, you know. And I hate sitting here having to defend this dude because he's someone I hated forever as a U of A fan. But just truthfully, I still think he has utility to this team. And I don't want the Suns to fall into the trap of 
oh, he had one bad showing for a moment, so we're not going to give him another t- opportunity, and now we have to play small, and you know the Bucks have opportunities to attack that or something. I, I don't want the Suns to fall into that trap. So I think looking ahead to Game 2, it's really important that we get at least, again, some backup minutes. I, I think when Lopez sits and they go to you know, like Port, Portis at center. I think it's okay to give Kaminsky a little bit of, and you know, if crazy eyes goes off and has one of his big games, then okay, fine. You don't do that again. And you go small, you know, I understand that. And you can just have Crowder defend Portis in that scenario. I understand that too, but you also reach a certain point where, you know, you're playing such a small lineup and such a core group that guys start to get exhausted at the end of games. And that's what's happened to the bucks in a lot of scenarios. And, the Suns' hallmark all season has been their depth. This team is really good and really deep, and any time that something's not going right for one player, we've got another guy to step up and do it. And so I think that it's incredibly key that the Suns not simply abandon the big man rotation. Let me put it to you this way. I would appreciate them putting out sticks before just abandoning any hope of playing a backup big of any kind. Like, And I know that sticks is you know not really a big at this point, but the you know the kid's a shooter he is a 6'10 shooter with you know with a little bit of length to him not so much heft <laughs> they call him sticks for a reason um but i i would i would truly prefer that for 2 minutes over just axing kaminsky altogether and just being like you're done we're just going to go small all the time because i don't think it's a good idea to go to this super small rotation and suddenly have all of your key guys playing 40 plus minutes a game and no one else is playing when you literally spent this whole season winning because of your depth. And I know that you're not going to go all the way into your bench in the NBA finals. I get that, you know, the ninth, 10th, 11th guys, I get that, but you know, next man up means something. And when you've had success with, certain players in season and, you know, they have, you know, one bad quarter or whatever. I don't think it necessarily means you have to avoid that altogether. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, Monty has generally trusted his guys um, even when they didn't necessarily play well. You kind of have to have a really long stretch of poor play to to get out of Monty's rotation. So we'll see what it goes tonight. Um, you know, obviously we're also looking to see what adjustments do the Bucks make? Like, does Chris Paul just, you know, eat their lunch again in the pick and roll? Um, you know, how do they, what does Giannis look like tonight? Is he, you know, more healed, you know, more maybe, you know, he's, you know, going to be less exhausted because he's, you know, a little bit better shape at this point, just having played in an NBA game again. Um, it's funny to think about Giannis being in better shape, right? It's like, ah, yes, we added a turbo booster to Terminator. Um, it's, it's just going to be a really interesting game. You know, can Aiton, you know, just continue to, are they just going to continue to let Aiton feast by, you know, just switching everything off of him and letting him attack, you know, their forwards and guards. Like that doesn't seem like the right thing to do, but if they continue to do it, great. Um, does Booker shoot better? You know, he was only eight of 21, uh, but he got, you know, 10 of 10 from the line. The Suns killed it from the free throw line, but what is the foul disparity going to be like tonight? Right, because the Suns shot a boatload more free throws in game one. How does that compare to game two? Right, because um, I think the Suns won by 13. They shot 15 more free throws, I think is something I, I was 
I think Windhorse said that. I've listened to all kinds of podcasts this morning, and I feel the need to reference a statistic, even if, if someone mentions it. If I didn't read it myself, I'm going to mention who mentioned it. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I need like a work cited for my show. In any case, the Suns, Windhorse has really been harping on how good the Suns are of a free throw shooting team. And it's true. They're basically the best free throw shooting team ever. And he's, you know, basically pointed that out as a huge difference the team is winning. And it's true. So it's going to be really interesting to see going forward, does that foul disparity that's probably not going to repeat itself. You're not going to have so many games where you're the only one getting calls. It just happened to go that way last night. So what are you going to do to make up for that disparity going forward? Now, I would point out that, again, the Bucks shot really well from three, and the Suns didn't, and the Bucks still lost by double digits. So I don't really have – I really don't think the Bucks are deep enough to play with the Suns, just to be completely honest. Like, I think that Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis are great. I think Lopez is great. And I think that beyond that, they really don't have a ton. Now, everyone's like, you know, Zach Lowe was like, Dante DiVincenzo would really change. Okay, yeah, I mean, he'd be fine. But the Suns are simply deeper. And the thing is, is that, you look at the Bucks and you're like, okay, we got four guys we trust, and then it starts to get a little dicey. Maybe they say they trust Connaughton, whatever. I don't know. But my point is, like, there are, like, nine guys on the Suns that I trust. Now, as a fan, I understand that I trust more people on my team than, you know, national people do or whatever. But the point is, like, when you're saying, like, you trust nine guys on your roster and I'm, like, not afraid of those guys being on the court, it just speaks to the depth that James Jones has built. And that's really the thing about this team. Every single person who is a part of this group has contributed to what this team has become. Javon Carter has, for two years, provided a level of defensive intensity that most other people just don't have. And even though he hasn't seen the court lately, you know that he's bringing that in practice all the time. And you know that his fierce fucking attitude, his never-say-die will, his just, I mean, he's out there practicing after NBA Finals games on the court still. The man just works and works and works. And when you've got that from your bench guys, the guys who aren't even getting minutes at this point, who I think should be, but when you've got every guy on the team working like just an absolute dog because they want to be the best, even when they aren't getting the minutes of the best, it just speaks to a mentality. This team is full of the hardest working dudes. I have heard so many stories about every single player on the Suns being the hardest working dude I've ever heard of. There are the stories about Langston Galloway is there earlier than everyone else. There's the stories about Javon Carter is shooting on the nights when no one else is. There are the stories about how Booker is there earlier and works harder than everyone and stays later and goes to the gym more often. No matter where you go, you will find a story about how every player one-ups the other in terms of how hard they work at their craft. This team is special. This team is filled with people who care about this game and winning at this game more than just your average NBA player. You know that there are guys out there who, you know, it's a job for them or they're just talented. So they do it and they put in the minimum. And this team just doesn't have any of those guys. 
James Jones came in, and there were plenty of those guys on the team, and they're not here anymore. And everything, I mean, this team has dramatically changed. Dramatically. I mean, and, and that happens a lot with, you know, every team in the NBA. You know, you, you have so many role players change over every year. There's so little continuity. But the Suns have still built some over time. You've had Booker for six years. You've had Aiton and Bridges for three years. You've had, um, you know, Cam Johnson for a couple of years now. You've had Dario for a couple of years now. They have started to build real connections and bonds with each other on and off the court that have created this level of ability. You can't just add wrinkles to a pick and roll in the finals when you don't have this level of of connection. You can't just make this many changes. This is a problem that the Bucks have is that whether it's the team or the coaching staff is they struggle to make minor adjustments, but the Suns make a boatload of adjustments on the fly, in game, in between games, at halftime. The Suns change everything they're doing on a whim, on the fly, because they can, because they're capable, because everyone understands what's going on, because they're led by, quite frankly, a basketball genius coach and a basketball genius point guard, and uh, clearly basketball genius center. The Basketball IQ is probably a term we need to retire because IQ in and of itself is like a, you know, a racist and fake thing. But just in terms of let's call it, I don't know, basketball acumen or whatever. I, I don't know what the proper term is. Every fucking player on this team is really goddamn smart. How about that? Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. No one's out there making mistakes. The rotations are crisp and clean. Everyone's where they should be. Does it always work out perfectly? No. But no one's horrendously out of place. No one can't play defense. This team is just built solidly in every single area. There's there's no holes. James Jones clearly deserved executive of the year. But he almost deserves executive of the years because... He has so quickly turned this Suns team into, you know, a championship contender. I mean, they were a laughing stock two years ago. This is not heard of. This is not a thing. You know, there are teams that lose a lot of games, but are still perceived as on the rise because of the young talent. That is not where the Suns were two years ago. That was my perception of them two years ago. But that was not the public perception of the Suns two years ago. And James Jones has simply, he's a legend. He'll be a legend in this town forever. And especially if the Suns can get this done, this team will mean more to this city than, well, I mean, and probably anyone in the history of the state. I I, I can't even tell you what a Phoenix Suns title would mean. And they're this fucking close. So I'm just looking for tonight the same level of intensity, especially on defense. I'm looking for an improved three-point shooting percentage. And I'm looking for hunger, desire, drive. We saw really both games against the Clippers where the Suns lost. 
they didn't have the same level of fight in them that they did other nights. And I don't want to fucking see that one time in this finals. I sit here and talk about dynasties and I sit here and talk about the future. But the truth about sports that we all know is that you may only get one chance. And you can't fucking waste it. And truthfully, the quickest way to turn multiple chances into only one is to waste that first chance. The Suns can't do that. This is an opportunity that so few people in the NBA world face. So few people get this chance. The NBA doesn't have parity. It's just the same groups of players leading teams to titles. And sure, the role players cycle out and you know guys get rings, but... For Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, for them for them to be the core three of a title team in all of their prime, I mean, you could say Chris Paul's past his prime, he's certainly not playing like it. But for them, and, and I mean, Booker and, and, and Ayton haven't even reached it. So it's you know, we'll we'll call it average prime. We'll say they're averaging their prime there. So it just these opportunities are so few. And you cannot waste them. You cannot waste a single game. You cannot waste home court advantage. This game, every single game from here on out is the biggest game in the history of of the Phoenix Suns. It just is. And that's what we face today. Shout out to Cam Johnson, who has been phenomenal in this playoff run and who has proven that he was the right pick when he was drafted. You know? We talk constantly about Aiton over Luca and that whole thing, but what about you know Cam Johnson over you know Brandon Clark, who was Suns Twitter's favorite choice? You know when Cam Johnson was picked, not even a lot of people knew necessarily who he was. I didn't. I had to go learn about him, and James Jones and Jeff Bauer did the damn thing. And this team is now playing for. Something that I was starting to feel like I was never going to get to see in my lifetime. I fucking cried after the Western Conference Finals. And I cried during the first quarter of Game 1 because I was watching something that I just never thought I was going to have. For a year, I was just starting to fade out and just think the Suns would never be good. And that they were just the New York Jets of the NBA. And that they were just never going to be good again. And it just would they would never matter and I was sad. And then watching Chris Paul come here and say, fuck that. <laughs> it means everything. This means everything to this town. And that is why this team must conquer all. Fucking destroy the Bucks. You only have to win three more games. They absolutely can get this done. This team was built for this. This team is a championship team through and through. This is a dynastic team through and through. This is the kind of team going forward that veterans are going to take minimum salary contracts to play with because they want to ring chase because the Suns are that fucking good. This is a championship ball club built by a multi-time NBA champion who understands what it takes to win at the highest levels. This is a club led by a coach who has been through personal tragedy harder than most of us could you know, ever face in our lives that has shaped him as a person and made him impervious 
to any sort of fear of another team or, you know, being broken down by a loss. This is just a game. And this man will lead this team through the darkness, through to the other side. Everything the Suns want is on the other side of hard, as Monty Williams said. And it has been proven time and fucking time again that hard means nothing to this team. That hard is simply the mode that this team chooses to play on because this is 1994 Mortal Kombat and there is no insane or whatever other mode. This team chooses to never quit, never roll over, never die, never surrender. And I don't ever want to see them ever even take a moment to breathe again or feel like they've got the job done because there have been moments where they thought, hey, we're going to coast our way to victory because we're this tough. You can't coast. This is the fucking finals. And I don't want to see that shit again. And I don't think we will see that shit again because Monty told them, if you put this shit on cruise control, you're going to fucking crash. No more of that. Nothing but intensity. Nothing but never say die. Nothing but the dog attitude. I want everyone to adopt the Jay Crowder and Chris Paul attitude for the rest of this fucking series. Because this team, this team is special. And as long as they keep their fucking heads about them, they're not just winning this series, but they're taking it to the next fucking level. That's the fucking Blunt Doctor Show. Go fucking sons. Peace.